Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Graham McMillan and I continue to dig deep into the week's comics in our 92-minute finale to episode 56, which looks at Action Comics number 1, G. Willow Wilson's Mystic, Wolverine, the Dead of Death one-shot, IDW's G.I. Joe Cobra series, Kirby Genesis number 3, our worries about the conclusion of X-Men Schism, and, of course, the unmissable Casanova Volume 3, Issue 1, by Matt Fraction and Gabriel Ba, as well as much, much more. And, as ever, thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Well, since you've talked about action, why don't you talk about action comics? Yeah, perhaps we should. I liked that action comics had action in it. I thought that, I, that was I, I liked well that done. I just kept going. It that did, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Superman theoretically saves the day, goes home, escapes, and then immediately you're like, but Lois Lane and Joey Ulster fucked. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. You barely get a page from that. And the thing that is great is you do get from the sequence of him running from the cops to, like, stopping a wrecking ball and ripping it apart. And, you know, it was it was a really enjoyable book. Uh, I... I really, I really dug it. I the art was interesting in that it also got rushed and bad at some parts. At some points, Rag Morales's art just falls apart. At other parts, it's lovely. But yeah, you, it, oh, it's almost as if there are pages where he was like, "I just have to make the deadline." And there's pages where he's like, "I've got the time to make this work." Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, exactly. to the point where at first I thought there's more than one anchor. Mm-hmm. But but apparently not. But uh, but like the page where um, he's basically getting dressed as Clark. Mm-hmm. And he meets his landlady. Mm-hmm. There's a lovely panel there of him putting his, holding his glasses up, like putting yep. his glasses on his face, mm-hmm. and you can see like that he's been beaten up, and that's a, that's a really nice panel. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. the page earlier, just seems really rushed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of stuff there. It's interesting that they chose such a. It's weird that, and this is something that. Here's a mind blower for you. Um... Edie actually read Action Comics number one. And so I get to actually talk about what my wife thought about this because I had it out on the kitchen table and she was like, huh, Grant Morrison, and why is he wearing, like, is he wearing jeans and boots? Yeah, why, why isn't he wearing the Superman outfit? Yeah, and she, it basically was enough to pick her, for her to pick it up and read it. And she was the one who pointed out that it was very odd that, that Superman turns back into Peter Parker, I guess. You know what I mean? Like... It's a that was a very him being nagged by his uh, landlady, you know, and for, sort for of the like rent. Yeah. yeah, for the rent was super Peter Parkery. Uh, and here's the thing: I thought that was a Peter Parker setup, but I didn't think he acted Peter Parker in it. Does that make sense? Sort of, I guess. I mean, I you know, like it, I feel like it was a younger Superman wandering into an issue of Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Does that well, make sense? Like, I feel the setup was, well, this is what you expect from teen superheroes in a big city. Mm-hmm. You know, here's, let's face it, Mrs. Muggins asking Peter for the rent. Right. But there's something about the way that he acts towards her and the way that she then changes towards him yes. that it's not Peter Parker. Peter yeah, Parker no. would be like, hey, crazy lady, I don't have the rent for you right now. Like, hucksterish. Do you know what I mean? Peter yeah. Parker is ultimately Stan Lee. Right. And Superman here is not. He's like, I got the money. I'm going downstairs. I'm going to give you the money. And right. she's like, you're a good kid. Don't, yeah, he, don't fuck up. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel I feel that's really not Peter Parker. I feel okay. almost that scene is there to show that he's not Peter Parker. That probably is. It probably is exactly the way that you said it. Um, that being said, I think it could have been done a little better. It struck me as, uh, I don't know, just a bit inelegant, I suppose. I see your point, um, and I think it's actually a really good one, but it seems like a weird... It seems like a weird metatextual point that didn't need to be made, I guess. Well, I also think it's set up because the name of the landlady seems very interesting to me. Uh, What's her name again? N-Y-X-L-Y. Oh, shit. Oh, you're a genius. I wonder if she's Nixel Pitlick. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's Mm -hmm. either an Easter egg Mm -hmm. or it's a setup for something in the future. That's really done. Done really well. Huh. That's very very funny. So, um, yeah, I, I I think there's I think that scene might end up being one of the most important in the issues. Right. But I think it's underplayed so much. Mm-hmm. That just feel like that people will just be like it's Peter Parker. Right. And I think like a year from now you'll be like oh shit. <laughs> well, that being said, Edie was not as impressed with action comics as I think you or I were. And this well, may it, be it the... took me like two or three weeks to be really impressed with it. First oh, of all, I was like, that's fun. Mm-hmm. And here, here's the thing this and Casanova, I reread pretty much like alternating between the two, <laughs> maybe five times because I wasn't sure what I thought about either of them. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, that's good because then we can go and talk about Casanova as well. Um, yeah, Edie's thing was very, and it, she hasn't read. Grant Morrison in a long time. She'd read a lot of the original Doom Patrol issues and stuff. God bless her. Uh, and she was like, she's like, it seems very stagey. She's like, it's very stylized and weird. Like, she's like, I couldn't quite get a place, a handle on when it's supposed to be taking place. And one of the things she said that I thought was really interesting is it kind of felt like a bunch of 15-year-olds decided to put on a play that they wanted, you know, that wanted to be really relevant about the world, but had no idea what the world was really like, uh, which I thought was kind of a very interesting take on the material. So she was I, pretty underwhelmed. I thought um, Heidi McDonald's was actually spot on, where she was like, it's the Hudsucker Proxies. <laughs> That's a great take on that. For, for two things. One, I would love to see a Coen Brothers Superman movie. Mm-hmm. Love it. And oh, two, yeah. it's that level of artifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, and that was one of the things I talked to with her about is Grant Morrison has always had a level of artifice and it is it is heightened here. But it also, I think she made a good point. At one point when he's talking about the the article that Clark Kent had written about the, the unions being busted down, the longshoremen's unions or something, mm-hmm. she was like, that really is like something out of the 30s. And she's like, there's plenty of, times there's stuff that you can talk about that now like there's very real very real but i also think it's very important to be very retro towards the 30s do you know what i mean because it's because that's where superman comes from this is quite clearly a an invocation of the 1938 superman yeah but it's also easily pleased in a way that's dot yeah i feel like it's dodging it because the fact is we are a lot closer to 1938 than we would like to pretend otherwise. Sure, but the other, but the other side of that is, I don't think A. Morrison, B. D. C. or even C. The readers want to see a genuinely relevant Superman. 
Mm, I... I, I think they, I don't think they want the idea of a relevant Superman, but like if Superman, if Superman all of a sudden was quoting like Obama's speech tonight, uh huh, do you know what I mean? Hmm. That would be a a PR disaster for DC. But yep. also, there's. I think it's safer, not necessarily better, but safer mm-hmm. for Superman to be relevant in a retro sense than it is for Superman to be relevant to today's audience. Well, and that's... Uh, so, I, I'm i not saying... Apart from agreeing or disagreeing, I think that that is both kind of a shame and B, everyone's letting themselves off the hook too easily while there's a, it seems like there's a lot of back padding about it. You know what I mean? Like, there is a way in which, without having to break in Obama or having the New Deal stuff, just have the situations. Like, the, you know, America's in some pretty tight straits now. It would be, I would be very happy to see industrialists that seem a little more like, I don't know, Sam Walton being held dangled <laughs> outside of a window. You know you what I mean? see a man who his face it really just needs a monocle. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, sure, exactly. It's like, hey, Mr. Moneybags. What? There really was. Like, that was the opening. The opening was pretty much, hey, yeah. Mr. Monopoly Man. Right, exactly. And there was a way in which I enjoyed it, and I think he did it to sort of keep it safe and fun. But definitely there's a way in which the people who are frustrated with Grant Morrison's um, company Stooge-esque policies – uh, that I think could end up being frustrated here. It seem, it does seem too easy. I really enjoyed this issue. It was incredibly sort of light, frothy fun. I really liked it. I liked it more than I thought I would, but uh, it was interesting having my wife read it and me kind of going, yeah, I'm being yeah, a little... Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being a little too easy on it. You know what I mean? Well, I'm coming at it with lowered... Like, like, the weird thing is I actually didn't like it that much when I first read it. Mm, interesting. And it took me multiple reads, and then being like, "No, I actually really do." Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And it wasn't like anything really changed. It was just one of those. I'm rereading it, and I don't know why I'm rereading it. Mm-hmm. And eventually, it's like I think I'm rereading it because it's fun. Mm-hmm. But I definitely felt uh, I definitely felt like let down when I read it at first. Interesting. I didn't have that feeling. I liked it right out of the gate for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it was compared to. It might have been the first book that I is the. The first book I read. Yeah, exactly. It was the first book that I read this week, which means it really was the second DC New Universe book that I read after Justice League. And yeah, it's so, the second one for me, but I read Casanova first. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Well, before we move on to Casanova, I would like to take a second. I don't know if you read it, but um, Jay Smitty uh, was kind enough to turn me on to this. I had not realized this was out. Uh, Wolverine, the Dead of Death, one shot with a story by David Lapham. And art by David Edger. Yeah, is also three ninety nine. So that's the same price I paid for X Men seventeen, which sucked ass, and for Action Comics is it number like one. Twice the length. It it probably is. It's I don't yeah. know. I didn't count. It's Mar- like Marvel with their insane pricing. Yeah, it's like twenty eight pages plus the bullshit Marvel nine eleven stuff. Um, it was great. I totally. I don't know if you picked it up. I, I heartily I recommend. In part because Wolverine. I'm not that interested in Wolverine. Mm-hmm. 
I totally get it. But you know what? You should pick it up just for the storytelling alone. I, I honestly believe that. The art is okay. gorgeous. Yeah. David David well, I, I, I work. Yeah. But it's 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 super great here. It is it is phenomenal. And interestingly enough, at one point, like three hours later, I walk into the kitchen again because I've been doing other stuff. And Edie was finishing reading Wolverine, this one shot. <laughs> and she was like, this was great. This was much better. And I'm like, really? She's like, I don't really care about the storytelling. But she's like, oh, my God, the art, you know. And you can tell what's going on. She's like, I just like the pacing of it. I... She's like every step of the way it was there were there was just it was interesting all the way through and just gorgeous to look at. So I, I can actually go from that then from the sublime to the ridiculous because I read one more new fifty two title this week. Uh oh. Hawk and Dove. Dude, of course you were gonna read Hawk and Dove. You mentioned in the background and I was like, nah, I should follow up with this at some point. Yeah. Hawk and Dove, huh? Well, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> I, I have a discovered my tolerance for Rob Liefeld, which it turns out is one page. Uh, <laughs> I'm not joking. Like it, I, Rich Johnson said that it's essentially Michael Bay directing an episode of EastEnders, the British soap opera, and that's uh-huh. that's a really good description of what it's like. Um, <laughs> Sterling Gates is definitely writing towards Liefeld, uh-huh. and he's also definitely trying to write like big action, and the story is actually fine. But the mm-hmm. art, honestly, was it was kind of like someone was punching me in the face for the entire time I was reading. Yeah, there are just moments where I'm like, "Oh God, I, I my eyes are going to bleed if I keep doing this." Yeah, you know how how could Rob Liefeld make it to? Because he's like forty one or something. How can he mm-hmm. make it that age and still not know how people's mouths actually work? Oh yeah, it's just yeah, it's just. I mean, God bless him. I know what they're going for. And I really like Sterling Gates. I, I think he's done some great work for DC, but I honestly don't think I can read another issue of this. Yeah. I, honestly, I honestly was like, I'll just wait for Liefeld. I'll wait Liefeld out. You know, mm-hmm. Liefeld won't do past six months. I'll just wait him out. And I don't think I can. It was that painful. It was really, <laughs> really, 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 really hard for me to read. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... Well, I want to say I told you so, so I'll do it. I told you so, Grant. Uh, oh, boy, that it's felt funny. great. I, I read that, and then I had to, like, wash my, my brain out with good gum. Mm-hmm. And so then, then I read, like, the second issue of Mystic. Did you read Mystic issue one? No, no. That's, oh, God damn it, I've got to put that on the list. I remember you saying great things about it. You are missing out. second issue is as good as the first. The second issue is pretty much, like, it's not, it's very much familiar tropes. Do you know what I mean? It's the scrappy work girl who's in a privileged environment and, you know, the other girls in the privileged environment look down on her until she's suddenly made beautiful. There's absolutely nothing new about the story. It's just done so well. You're just like, why can't all comics be this good? Why can they not look this good? Why can they not have this sense of humor and this sense of pacing? Why, Why is it so hard when this comic makes it look so easy? Right. So, yeah, it, it just just lovely stuff. And like you were saying before, um, then completely balls up by having a 9-11 story at the end. Oh, yeah, just... It, it's like completely magical, you know, magical realism, like a Disney film, and then you get Kevin Smith and John Romita Jr. doing a wordless story oh, about, yeah. <laughs> about how, you know, a family's arguing, but then the Trade Center falls, and then they cry. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because I picked up so many Marvel comics this week that I got this. Re- it's not all the same issue. It's not all the same story in all of them, is it? No. Well, uh, let's put it this way. Yes, it is, but it's done by different writers and artists. <laughs> so there's also Sick Day by Joe Casada and Igor Cordy on art. And it was like, oh, man, Igor Cordy, man, that guy got the shaft at Marvel, didn't he? And it is also a wordless story where people cry because uh, the family gets separated and the towers fall. Uh, and it was interesting having read that one and Smith's. It was like, wow, that's, oh, you know, I could have sworn I read that entire tribute issue and was really happy not to have thought about it for the last nine and a half years. Um, I'm going to jump back because you. I feel like you did a great job spending enough time talking about uh, Mystic that I should talk more about Wolverine, the one shot. The art <laughs> is great. It has, uh, it, it, it even says it, it is a Wolverine story featuring Shinpu attack robots, ninjas killing explosions, preventive spheres of doom, and the always welcome Nicholas Fury. The, and the other, the other, say, the other thing that kept me away from that one shot uh-huh. is David Lappin. Yeah, no, actually, when I saw that, I was like... Because I, I saw the solicit, mm-hmm. and I was like, it's David Lappin writing it. Yeah, I think I kind of know what to expect from that. Yeah. You know, and I can't, I can't even say that you are wrong because uh, it actually, it comes to. It, I feel like it comes together better than a Lapham story does. The thing is, is that it is, um, in some ways, it actually reminded me of. Uh, and this is probably not necessarily a reference you'll jump up and cheer over. A Seiyun Suzuki movie, uh, actually, in the not a was... Seiyun Suzuki movie. Oh, okay. Well, you totally I proved have, me I wrong. Uh, Suzuki was a uh, director um, in the 60s of basically the the uh, he did a ton of Japanese yakuza movies as well as a couple of um, romantic melodramas and everything. He was he was like a, a studio director for um, Nikitsu Studios, and he had a gorgeous eye for presentation and stylization. And he also kind of didn't take things entirely seriously. As he went on, his 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 uh, films, which were traditionally yakuza yakuza stories of uh, you know gangsters messing with one another and uh, essentially retribution being meted out, became more and more gorgeous looking and abstract. That he was actually fired from the studio for literally being incoherent. Uh, wow. That, yeah, um, a lot of people too. It actually more, but it started with two of his movies at the very end, Tokyo Drifter and Branded to Kill, which was the movie that, that got him fired from Nikitsu, um, played the, the festival circuit and actually were made our Criterion releases. Um, but I love some of his earlier stuff, The Man with the Tiger Tattoo, uh, the fantastically named uh, Detective Bureau-2-3 Go to Hell Bastards, which is a great title. <laughs> He has he has some really lovely, just perfectly composed sequences that master um, the composition in the frame and his sense of color. And so, even though he's doing sort of a traditional genre storyline, uh, there's just so it feels like there's more in it. That's very much this Wolverine one shot. There is n- nothing exceptional about it except the way that it is told by the artist makes it really a delight despite the fact that it is uh, it, it's a forgettable story it throws in you know world war ii japanese steampunk robot type things 
that's fine. Yeah, that, but that piece they said just feels lazy to me. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things that you're like, like five years ago, you've been like, that's fucking awesome. And now you're like, not another set of steampunk Japanese World War II era robots. Right. Do you know how it's like some ideas can just be so used? Yeah, no, 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 so no. Much, I agree. So quickly mm-hmm. that they lose all friends. I feel like yeah. it's definitely one of them. I yeah. don't know. I feel that if I did buy it, I would be buying it just for budget. Yeah. But you know what? You would be happy that you did, is what I'm saying. You don't think that you would, because you honestly do not think that you could spend three ninety nine for a Wolverine comic and be happy that you did it. But if ever you could, Graham, this is the one shot that would do it. And definitely for any listener out here for whom you can read a Wolverine comic, unlike Graham, I say go get this one. The art is fucking phenomenal. It is phenomenal. And it is amazing because it is a it's a real triumph. And and I do think Lapham, despite his various flaws, uh, and he has, I think, honestly, a fuck ton um, in doing work for hire. He does not over exposition this stuff to death. He actually gets out of the way and lets the artwork do the bulk of it. And so consequently, it is lighter on its feet than any of the other DC books that I read this week. So interesting. Talking yeah. about three ninety nine, just as you're talking, I'm looking down at the cover of this comic in front of me. Um which is also three ninety nine and I didn't give that price a second thought. Do you know what I mean? Like there's some comics you just like I like it and you don't give the price a second yes. thought. Right. Um the G. I. Joe Cobra Cobra series from IPW mm-hmm. is really genuinely becoming like a, a monthly joy for me. Oh interesting. Um in part because it just it's turning into a really fun spy book which you would not expect it to be uh, I'm spoiling nothing for you and I honestly think so few people are, who listen to podcasts are reading it mm-hmm. uh, so I'll just essentially give away why I like this issue so much right. uh, the setup for all the G.I. Joe books right now is Cobra Commando was murdered so Cobra has to come up with a new leader mm-hmm. the way they've decided to do this is they're having a competition whoever oh, G.I. Joe characters will get to be the leader uh, I was hoping there would be more like American Idol, actually, exactly. for a second there. Yeah. But what is fun is every issue of Cobra starts off, is is narrated by a different character who always starts off going, I'm never going to get the job. <laughs> and then explains why they are not. And then it essentially explains why they don't want the job, because being a leader is terrible. Mm-hmm. It's much better to be working where everyone thinks they know what you're doing and you're actually doing something else. Mm-hmm. And so you've got, like... Major, like they've all got terrible names because they're GHO characters. <laughs> For example, wait, uh, major, wait, major, what? major blood. <laughs> Seriously, it gets better. It's B L U D D. But he said sort of like, you know, I'm never going to get the job because I like getting my hands dirty, and everyone thinks the leaders don't get their hands dirty. But mm-hmm. it's the only way to do a good job is to do the job yourself. Right. You've got uh, essentially a, a religious cult leader in there. So they've recast Serpentor, so he is this cult leader who, mm-hmm. instead of being himself, basically just convinces other people. And they do this spectacular head fuck this issue, which is issue four. After the first three issues, showing that one of the G.I. Joes is a member of Serpentor's cult and uh-huh. is, is feeding him information. Hmm. He gets killed in this issue by another member of G.I. Joe who finds him out. Uh-huh. And it turns out that he is also a double agent. Oh, that's nice. And he's like, it's great. I've killed him all. I've killed him. 
they're going to find out that he was a double agent. No one's going to suspect double agent anymore. Very nice. And that's the ambition. The ambition is being like, yeah, you know, we got a bit sloppy, but uh, dealt with it. Well, I, I, you know, part of what I like about that, and this is speaking as someone who didn't read a, a ton of the G.I. Joe comics back in the day, were that the the machinations and competition within Cobra was always sort of the drama that ended up driving the book, you know? It, yeah, it always yeah, felt for, like. For, yeah, for so often, because essentially G.I. Joe is, is so upright mm-hmm. that, that the, the interpersonal conflict comes from Cobra because they're dicks. Right, and and Hama had a ton of fun showing the way in which their dickishness and double-crossing each other led to so many extra complications in everyone's plans that uh, it's kind of great. It's 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 like a mirror image of that in a way, and I yeah, that's it's really the, enjoyable. It's, it's been it's done like there's some, there's a weird and sort of awesome cynicism about the whole thing, right? Whereas ha- even Hama's Cobra were kind of idiots. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like their machinations came from them being idiots. Whereas in this, <laughs> they're all coming from everyone is ex- literally just expecting the worst from everyone else. Right. And doing their best to fuck them anyway. <laughs> Which is kind of great to read. Yeah. Yeah, I can see where that would be so very it's, fun. It's, it's really turned... It's like... Um, I don't know if you ever read... Uh, Rucka's checkmate. Uh, no, you've mentioned this before. I never made it past issue two. I think. It's essentially like what if Rucka's checkmate was much darker, mm-hmm. much uh, not more depressing, but much more cynical. There, mm-hmm. there, there are very purposefully no heroes, mm-hmm. um, and just and much slower as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, if nothing else, the, the opening storyline is supposed to last something like 10 issues in all three of the G.I. Joe books. Good lord. Wow. <laughs> so that's, I mean, it might even be a full year in all three of the books. Jesus. Who's writing this? Uh, it's Mike Costa that writes Cobra. And so I should say it's not a, co- a crossover as such, because I'm not reading the other books and it doesn't make any difference. Okay, so it's working fine for you and... Yeah. Uh... I mean, I'm sure at some point they're going to be like, here's, here's the, you know, the new Cobra Commander is, and they'll be like, you know, you probably should have been reading the G.I. Joe comic. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, that's fine, because I don't, first of all, I don't really care about that. Right. And secondly, the book doesn't really care about that. The entire setup of the book is, let someone else get the glory. I'm going to use all of this to do what I want. Right. So I can completely see that they're going to set up a new Cobra Commander, and then you probably never see him. That's very interesting. I kind of love it. I, I really am enjoying it. It's one of these things, it's IDW, so when the first collection comes out, it's going to be hardcover. So it's mm-hmm. not like I could be like, wait for the trades, because the trades are probably like, you know, a year and a half away. Oh, Jesus, yeah, I know. There's stuff that I'm still waiting for the trade on that I'm just like, really? This is kind of ridiculous, guys. I'm just sort of clearly doing myself a disservice here but I was trying digitally because they, they I want to say they're in comicology yeah I would think so well yeah maybe they must be although I know that for a while IDW had its own app you know but that was I don't, I don't know how they handled that I know there's a G.I. Joe app mm-hmm. I don't know if they're they're on the comicology app I don't well, understand yeah. how that works out well as I recall 
from, God help me, two years, three years ago when I was covering IDW's panel at San Diego Comic-Con, which is like back when, you know, uh, Darwin Cook's The Hunter was just coming out. That's how long ago it was. It, it, they were talking about how they had released an app for the iPhone and what they were doing was uh, it was it was essentially panel by panel like you never saw the full page mm -hmm. um, adaptations of their comics like the iPad wasn't even out so I think they would have, well, have you seen probably the, done I, it differently since IDW on iBooks yesterday? Uh, no yeah IDW launched iBooks mm. um, which is the collections mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let's see and they, they said that, and I still have the, e the email that they sent out with the list Yes, I do. Okay, so essentially you can buy the collections, and their launch books are going to be Code Word Geronimo, which is their prose book based on Seal Team 6. Mm -hmm. um, Bloom County, Complete Digital Library from 1980 to 1981. Right. The first four collections of Lock and Key, Park of the Hunter and Park of the Outfit. Right. Star Trek movie, uh, Transformers 3, The Last Unicorn. Little Adventures in Oz, which I want to say might be the um, I forgot the guy's name. The Shanor stuff. The Shanor, uh, Shanor stuff. Yeah. Um, Dead Space, Dragon Age, GI Joe, Hearts and Minds, which again is the prose collection IDW put out. Mm -hmm. um, Witch and Wizard, which is one of these airport novelists who I can't remember. It's 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 a book by him anyway. The mm -hmm. Murder of King Tut's True Blood Volume One and the Rocketeer Complete Adventures. Mm. And they're all being sold as complete graphic novels on mm -hmm. iOS, which I think is a really smart idea. Yeah, uh, that is smart. And f they have a presence on Comixology. As far as I can tell, it is looking at it on the web, and maybe it's different through iTunes, as sometimes happens. It is nothing but Transformers. It is literally is, all Transformer that is titles. completely possible. That's all it yeah. is. Which is interesting because it has a pr the the promo art piece next to the logo is actually a um, looks like a um, Danger Girl piece by what's his name. So it's a girl. It's like a girl in a bikini holding a gun, and then it's like seventy two Transformer images right below that. Which is <laughs> that's that's because the kids love the Transformers. Yeah, they they love those, and they they do love their Danger Girl. Uh. I, I will be honest, I picked up Kirby Genesis number three after saying at the end of number two that I was off the book. Uh, what did you I, think? Cause I, did I tell you about my, my weird Kirby Genesis reading and then having Jack Kirby dreams for the entire night, which freaked Kate out because apparently I did not stop moving or talking the entire time? No, you did not tell me this. Launch this story, motherfucker. So, okay, so I, I get Kirby Genesis number three, and I read it, and I'm like, I really enjoyed that. However, I don't remember half of these characters. I'm going to read the whole series to date, because it's only three and a half comics. Right. So I read the three and a half comics before the end. And I, I'd say I'm really enjoying Kirby Genesis. I think it's really fun. I love, especially after reading the top stuff recently, I mm -hmm. love that the top stuff is there. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, all the secrets is there. I love that they've got Bombast and Captain Glory and all of those characters, even though they're not as themselves. Uh, right. I really like the Island of Time for Gods type thing. I love mm -hmm. that for some reason they brought in their own version of Devil's Dinosaur. That <laughs> part I also dug, yeah. Abuses mm -hmm. the hell out of me. Um, yeah, I'm reading it. I'm, you know, I'm like, this is fun. I go to sleep. And I have 
it's I essentially I'm dreaming a Kirby comic. All I remember about it right now was that aliens were invading and the aliens could turn into giant spiders. Mm. That's it. That's all I remember. It wasn't scary. It was very exciting. Mm-hmm. It was action packed. Fascinating enough, even though aliens were invading, there was no sense of danger in the dream. Interesting. Like, it was exciting, but at no point did I think that I was going to die. Or that right. anyone else was going to die. That's kind of great. But according to Kate, because I woke up after like two hours. Mm-hmm. And Kate was still reading, and she's like, I have no idea what's been going on in your head. <laughs> but you've been tossing and turning. Wow. And, and you've just been mumbling to yourself. You That's know? fantastic. That is great. Um, well, all I can say is, please remember more of that dream, Graham, and tell us about it. Uh, so, I, so what did you think? I liked it. Well, here's the thing. So I had given up on it, and then I saw it on um, the racks when I went to the store, and I decided to pick it up and flip through it. And as you may recall, I was really – I had a lot of trouble with the storytelling tactics of issue two. I felt that it was really hard to – see what was going on and everything seemed more cluttered this issue seemed less so actually i felt like i was getting more of a sense of who was involved in what and what was happening where and who were the things involved and of course you do see a big purple dinosaur that looks like devil dinosaur and so i picked it up and i enjoyed it a lot i i was like kind of like oh weirdly enough this might be my favorite issue in some ways it's still a little too little too too I guess you know there's like almost too much stuff jammed into the book without a sense of um I I know what he's going for as far as like it's Kirby but it's definitely based on sort of that pulp template you know fast moving shenanigans which I think even you know Kirby the character in the book says Uh, but there's I don't know there's weird like more than half the issue I found myself kind of going yeah but kind of like I don't there's some there's some element X that's missing that is keeping me from really caring Uh, and yet there's other stages at which I really, I really enjoyed it, and in fact, there's a whole sequence where the, you know, Kirby is with uh, this sort of tag team of, of characters that seem straight from a Saturday morning cartoon uh, on the Phantom Continent, and they end up tumbling into a uh, pit, and um, Kirby looks at this thing, this statue or something like that, that he's told not to look at. And you really don't find out what it is at that point and or any point. And it was a weird mix of it was just about the mo- the point where a Jack Kirby comic touched the face of a Jim Woodring comic. And I was really excited about that. Like, And then it kind of passes and there's a few other big panels with Sweep that were kind of fun. But I had a moment. I don't know if they'll come back to it. But there's one or two moments where it just sort of... Tra- almost transcends story, I guess, you know, and I, I'm i not sure that, I feel like Kurt Busiek's such a traditionalist, I'm not sure it will ever go to that place 
again or go to that place deliberately or what it would mean, I guess, if it did? Yeah, and you have to wonder how much of that was deliberate because, again, not only Busek is traditionalist, but so is Alec Ross. Yes, very much so. Yeah, so... I, I doubt that there was any point where one said to the other, although maybe they did, like, hey, you know, we should make this a little bit like those moments in a Kevin Huzinka comic where suddenly things just sort of <laughs> spill over into the sublime, you know? And uh, But there were there were a few parts like that where I was kind of like, where things really kind of weren't as explained. Um, what, was this the issue for you, as it was for me, where it stopped reviving Kirby concepts that Kirby created and started creating concepts based upon other Kirby concepts. Does that make sense? Like, yes, it not does. not only Devil Dinosaur, but um, Kirby meets the Life Eaters, mm-hmm. who are essentially, you know, living anti-life equations. Yeah. And I don't know, there's, there seems an awful lot of channeling Kirby without ripping Kirby off. Not that they're ripping Kirby off, but you know what I mean? Like channeling Kirby as opposed to copying Kirby. Uh, yeah, I think... I don't know. It, it It's something very close to that. I mean, it's something very close to that. Again, that figure where there's sort of the ominous statue and 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 Kirby sort of has his, like, is pulled into sort of this weird anti-life situation and then gets sort of... just sort of comes to, like, a couple of pages later in the middle of another action scene, uh, which was very... Yeah, it was both almost like Kirby, but very much, but more not. And that was sort of the stage where I was starting to like things, where it sort of started moving into the parts that I liked in the first issue, where it's almost like we're we're actually figure, we're actually taking the way that Kirby would take all of pop culture and turn it into his material. We're trying to do almost something like that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I keep coming back to why it's called Genesis. Mm-hmm. I keep wondering whether the entire point of Genesis is to introduce all these characters. I mean, because we know they're doing spin-offs. Right. And then whether there's actually going to be a point where it's like, do what you want with these mm-hmm. concepts. Do you know what I mean? Like, the Genesis is going to be getting the uh, traditionalism or the, the homage out of the system. Right. And then they're going to be like, okay, it's there. Mm-hmm. That would be really interesting to me if that's the attempt. Yeah, yeah. That I don't know. I, it's interesting. I, I don't think it's going to be ultimately because that's not how Project Superheroes ended up, which is right. Ross's previous thing. Um, but I'd love it for us. Like, can you not just imagine if Kevin Kuzenga actually did to do like <laughs> that would be that would be the greatest comic ever made. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, I can't get enough of a handle on Dynamite, frankly. Um, you know, I, somebody say that I've honestly spent the last week reading a lot of Dynamite books because I'm an accomplice and just being like, I love Dynamite. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I I like a lot of what they do, but I sure get the sense that you know, at least on a sub Rosa level, some people are like, yeah, like you've got to have your you you basically have to have a big enough rep that you're not going to get messed with in order to work with them yeah and i also think that um they're very 
willing to just like drop something and move away and never mention it again. For example, right. the Project Superheroes books, at least one of which was an ongoing, and then just stopped. Mm-hmm. It literally mm-hmm. just stopped. Right. Well, that's, I mean, God knows, you see stuff like that happen no, no, from like no, Marvel. There's no like, you know, this is the last issue. It right. literally just disappeared. Just disappeared. Like the next issue just never came out. Yeah. 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 Well, again, like I said, I'm like, every once in a while you see shit like that from Marvel and DC. So it's not surprising that that stuff happens a little more often for other publishers. And it's a shame because it's kind of bullshit. So, uh. Should we stop dancing around Casanova and just start talking? Yeah, we just got to start talking about Casanova, frankly. I will tell you right now, my favorite thing about Casanova, the new issues. Mm -hmm. Do you know that in front of you? Yes. Last page of the story. Okay, hold on. Let me turn to it. Yes. Look at it. Does that only remind you of Brandon Graham? Uh, does that not remind me? Oh, Brandon Graham. Is that what yeah. you said? Yeah. yeah. Yes, it does, actually. That, the that's first thing actually... I saw when I saw that page, I don't know if it's the colors, I don't know if it's the space, whatever. Honestly, I, I, could even be guys coming in in the back. There's something uh, weirdly, like, rounded about them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, that, like, is my favorite thing about the entire issue. Overall, like I said, I read it, like, five times. I went from bitterly disliking it right, to thinking, if this is so amazingly flawed, mm-hmm. but it's a comic that wants to get better. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I. it's funny. I, as you know, I gave up on, on the second arc. I never read the second arc of Casanova. And then I saw this and I'm like, I'm not going to pick this up. And then I did. And of course, now I'm like, Jesus Christ, four ninety nine, Fuck. Yeah, but, seriously, $5 for this? Holy oh. motherfucker. And I mean... It looks gorgeous, and as a sort of like collection of like ticks and and gimmicks, uh, I liked it. I liked the ticks and the gimmicks. I don't. I, I. I. It's interesting to me because I feel like I'm having this very difficult time separating the book. This actually oh, happened to me... Have a, you have a problem separating the artist from the work, don't you? Yeah, and it, that happened... I, I initially had that with this as well. I, I think you're totally right saying that it's got really interesting takes. I mm-hmm. think the problem for me about Casanova, or at least this issue, there's no emotional through line. Mm. It literally feels like it's... It feels like, like he says, he's trying to write it for a year and he's kept rewriting it, but at mm-hmm. no point did he do a final draft. Mm. And so it's like... You know, jittery. It's like scene, 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 mm-hmm. scene. And the plot, sure, the plot makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't feel like I was reading a complete story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was reading lots of scenes where he'd worked them t- literally to death. He'd worked them. He worked the life out of the scenes. He'd worried about it. He'd worked on it so hard. He tried to make it quote unquote cool. He'd be like, oh, this is a nice take, this is a nice take. But that's, and that's, even now, and I'm like, it's trying to get better. That still is what it feels like. It feels like a comic that is a collection of things that he thought might work. And there's so much of it that's familiar from before. Mm-hmm. There's so much of these callbacks mm-hmm. that it feels really hollow. Hmm. Interesting. And it's funny because before I read it, I was totally having that I can't separate Fraction from Casanova in part because the comics Alliance interview made me really sad not yeah. angry not even surprised it just made me sad I, I felt 
really sad format production. <laughs> and my first read through from me Casanova, I had exactly the same reaction. I was like, this is just this is heartbreaking and not in a I invested all this time and I got that return. Oh, what am I doing with my life? But in a <laughs> this just is sad. This is this is the work of an unhappy person. And it is an unhappy book. And mm-hmm. it is a book that is born of pain and about pain, but not able to say anything about that. It is just sad. Mm-hmm. Okay, now are you saying that's your first, that that's was your my, first take? or is first take. Okay. Um, and I think in subsequent reads, mm-hmm. and I may be being infinitely gener- generous here, mm-hmm. I think Fraction might be trying to work through the pain subconsciously in the same way that Morrison was with the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. Actually, I, I think. See, here's my problem: is that, that uh, I guess my take was very much the same as your first take, and it actually reminded me of when I was reading the first arc of Casanova through, where I had these moments of like, I don't think that it, it was this thing of like, yeah, it's in your diary. It, it's 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 the autobiography of a person that I don't like, I guess. You know? I just but had this uncomfortable the, feeling. Mm-hmm. It's not an autobiography, though. It's not an autobiography for something you write for other people. It's too naked. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I think? Like, that's why I call it a diary. It's... I feel that... No one would want to share this level of emotion... Mm-hmm. Willingly. Hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because uh, I mean, this is just, this is such a sad book. I mean, you have characters say, your father's dying, everyone's dying. Right. The guy sings, we're all so tired, everybody wasting away, secluded, terrifying, expecting wonders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's just horrible. Like, he just, Casanova keeps killing people he keeps destroying worlds and he says what is it fuck your future nothing is sacred harm everyone save yourself right it is I feel like it's even gone beyond nihilism mm-hmm. I, I feel and this is me being eternally optimistic I feel nihilism to some extent is opposed and I think in the, in the, the um, Comics Alliance interview Mm-hmm. When he says cynics are just secret romantics who don't want to be hurt, yes, I feel like that is like the key to Matt Fraction's worldview. But right. I think what he doesn't realize is he's talking about himself, right? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Well, here's the thing. Okay, uh, see, th- I guess this is my problem with Fraction is I think that he does. He's super aware that he's talking about himself. It's... No, I, I think he thinks he's talking about himself, but he's talking to himself in an entirely different way. Do you know what I mean? I think he thinks he's being distracting. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's actually aware that he's talking about what he's talking about. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, there is some there is some weird meta level going on where he thinks that because he's talking about the bars of his cage as if he's from outside the cage, he doesn't see the other cage that's around him, I guess. I mean, I think my problem with it, and this reminds me, again, there were pieces in, in the first arc of Casanova and where I read here where I'm just like... Having read the both his interview at Book, Book Slut and his very similar interview at Comics Alliance, where he's got some of the same talking points, I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm primed, unfortunately, to see what I'm going to get out of this book, and it's certainly there, and he seems to be going, he's very consciously saying, this is where I need this character to be at this point um, it's not necessarily where I'm at, but it's where I've been at, but it's not where I'm at now. Um, there's a weird level of <sighs> there's a weird level to me of I don't feel I, I just there's there's some weird unprocessed element to it that I think maybe is the same way that you're reacting to it I, I guess which is that it feels like like you said there's a lot of pain in there there's a lot of misery it's supposed to be painful and miserable and I think there's a lot of really good shorthand for that even even within some of the panels within it there is a um i felt like some of the repetition some of the ticks point to an idea of literally at the meta level right having to write this same scene over and over and over again in comics until you are fucking exhausted of it you know yes and i sort of feel like what do I feel like? It's one of those weird stages of... I don't know. I think there's just going to have to be a stage where there's amends. You know what I mean? Like, and until there's that stage... Wait, like, but amends to, from whom and to whom? Right. And that's that's really kind of the question. I mean, isn't it? I mean... Well, no, I know, I know, but I'm, I'm not sure if you're asking me the question within the question or if you're asking me, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Uh, and, and I'm, ask, I'm asking both. I'm asking, okay. when you say there really has to be amends, are you yes. saying Fraction has to make amends? And if so, who does Fraction have to make amends to? And how does he do it? I don't know. I mean, that's the thing, because I don't know. But... Uh, I, you know, there, as as you know, I'm assuming that there is one of the stages of the twelve steps of recovery has to do with the idea of trying to make amends for your behavior, you know, mm-hmm. the things that you did, and uh, I've I have been lucky enough to have some friends who have been in recovery and really worked the system and seen them make that approach, and I also have had some people in my life that have gone into recovery and have never really moved into that stage I suppose they're very happy to say that they're you know kind of working the system within the within the first two or three stages of it you know and and never quite moving up to that stage like I've known people who've been in recovery for a long time and the amends still aren't coming in fact there's a a very concerted effort to separate yourself from who you were like there's too much denial involved in it there's never really the thing that's painful about the trying to make amends is you have to own up to your behavior to the people that you did it to I mean and they know I mean clearly because they're the people who got fucked over by your bad addict behavior they know that they were fucked over it's not a surprise to them it's you having to 
acknowledge that end of yourself. Okay, you 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 having to you having to admit that you were that guy. That you were that guy, exactly. Because there's you can a... always tell yourself that you weren't. Right. You can always be like something happened, but it happened to you and to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As opposed to I was the one who did that something. Right. Right. You you really have to face that shame in order to kind of overcome that shame. Otherwise, there's a variety of things that get programmed into your brain that separate you from that person and therefore allow you to kind of spin in variants of that behavior, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, unfortunately, and I don't fucking know because I honestly have never met the man, uh, between the pieces that I read of fractions and the interviews that I read of him, I feel like he's one of those guys, like, I hope he's made amends, but I sometimes really doubt it. He seems like a guy who still carries a fuck ton of that anger and that frustration and that arrogance that is, of course, you know, covering up those shells of insecurity and pain and stuff, but it never... But there's a lot of talking about breaking of the cycle without showing, without me ever getting the sense that cycle's ever being broken. And so in Casanova, this issue, I was kind of very torn between, well, this is a stage, this is like, he's definitely presenting what he's supposed to be presenting. My problem is, is I feel that behind it, I don't feel like there's not enough of a, of a layered insight behind it of a hint of something that suggests that there's that extra additional level of humanity that you've gained? Yeah, which I think is really interesting for Casanova because the previous two volumes of Casanova have felt not only personal but true. Mm-hmm. And this felt really not going through the motions but really hollow. Mm-hmm. Everything happened but none of it happened. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Right. And I don't know how intentional that is because it's supposed to be like starting in a really low point. So there might be, you know, you're, you're, you might be missing all of this. But even the theoretical epiphany that Casanova has when he listens to the guy sing mm-hmm. is so absent. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. nothing actually happens. Mm-hmm. And it all feels. It feels so generic that it doesn't feel honest, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Some guy, like, you hear some guy sing, and it's so beautiful that he changes his mind, man. Feels so generic. Mm-hmm. That it's just, it doesn't ring true in a way that I think every other issue of Casanova has. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, the whole thing is. Fraction is one of the most fascinating personalities in comics. Oh, yeah. These days. Mm-hmm. Um, and a part of it is because he presents himself as being brutally honest and brutally optimistic. Mm-hmm. And he continually comes across as... And this is just for me. I, I know that so many other people completely disagree with this. Mm-hmm. Broken, completely filled with self-loathing. And completely out of touch with how he's feeling. Right. 
Right, in a way that is a little worrisome and frustrating. Yeah, in a way that I kind of just want someone to save him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, it, it feels really odd to say. But I, I mean, again, reading the back matter here, you mm-hmm. feel all fresh and continually say things like, you know, I'm getting sick of talking about myself. And so, <laughs> and so again, like, in the back matter, he's like, oh, one more thing, in case you're starting to cast someone didn't read the record stuff, I added myself as an alcoholic and addict in recovery. And it's like, you're bringing it up. It's, he's honestly the guy who's like, I don't want to talk about this thing, but I'm going to talk about this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I don't even know if he knows he's doing it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know which is scarier, mm-hmm. that he doesn't or that he does. I don't know. I mean, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, I just want fraction to... I want Fraction to get better. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that as a writer. Mm-hmm. Like the comics lines in Fury where he talks about how he's, uh, you know, you've got to make a list of everyone you're angry at in your life. And he's like, and I've got this perfect life, but I'm still angry at a guy from the third grade. Right. And I, I was just like, that's really not good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you can talk however much you want about, you know, I'm going to try and get past it, but it's like, that's not good. Mm-hmm. If you genuinely think that you have a perfect life, if you genuinely feel loved, if you genuinely feel that you have your perfect job, if you're still angry at someone who stole your fucking toy in the third grade, mm-hmm. something's wrong. Well, I... What can I say? I think, obviously, he presents that in the context of that he knows it. The thing that I think is interesting to me is is that there there is... I mean, he's he's... He's open enough to talk about it and admit it, but there is a weird... I don't know. I I, I honestly think that Fraction is... I don't know. You know, it, 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 it's all that stuff and it's more. Like, my problem is is that the letter, for example, the letters column is where he's like, I don't want to make this about me. I want to make it be a bit of a dialogue. And yet it's a dialogue that's about him. You know what I mean? And so it becomes, a, in the same way that his previous talks with other people and his previous conversations were all about him. Yeah, there's a, even when he thinks that it's not or even when he thinks that it isn't, I think that... Um, Fractions, fractions. Whatever the source of fractions wound is, it is it is interwoven so tightly to his sense of himself as the smartest guy in the room, that or the most entertaining guy in the room, that it almost feels like the stuff that he does, like his choice of careers, essentially reinforces whatever it is about himself that he is most upset about, or most angry about, or most. Uh, hate-filled about. And I'm fascinated to see where that cycle is going to go. I mean, you know, hopefully they will lead him out. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe it's just me, but I'm scared to see where that cycle is going to go. Well, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. I I mean, it's hilarious. I don't know. Right. Ultimately, it means nothing to me. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know him. I, I know people who know him, mm-hmm. but if he ends up being an incredibly bitter old man who's completely filled with hate, it doesn't affect my life at all. Right. But for some reason, I just, maybe because he's a public figure who's like this, mm-hmm. I'm just honestly like, 
can someone give him a hug? Can someone? <laughs> I, don't, I mean, that's that's kind of patronizing, but I don't know. I I I worry about him. Right. I worry about him in the way that I worried about Elliot Smith. Mm. It's interesting because for me, the the touchstone is actually uh, David Foster Wallace in some ways. Uh, where Wallace, so we're talking about lots of people who are dead. Yeah, we are. We are. Well, because that's kind of that's that's my. Is that why we worry about him, though? Yeah. Well, that's part of why I worry about him. I mean, that's part of. I guess that's part of my worry. I mean, the other, the flip side of this is, I was going to say, is like when you make your way through Infinite Jest, uh, and some of Wallace's other works, they are so. There's levels of them that are so human and so loving and so accepting that do feel like someone who has gone through that entire those all those steps that I've talked about, you know, and was somebody who worked their way through all of that madness, and he still ended up hanging himself. You know what I mean? So there is a way where it's like maybe that's not it. Maybe that's not the answer. Like so, like I said, just the fact that fraction stuff feels emptier or hollower or angrier or less um, empathetic than he thinks that it is is no guarantee that he is going to have a bad life or a bitter life or is actually having one now because this guy who I really thought was also a genius and also pursued his demons through and kind of hunted them down at the end ultimately ended up being consumed by them at the end you know and so i you don't and it's that same way with elliot smith i think too you know where smith himself had obviously seen a lot of shit go down in his life and was able to write about it in of in um a variety of modes, I suppose, that made made me feel like, okay, he's through it. But sometimes, sometimes you don't get to see it when you're through it. Sometimes you can still see it when you're in it, and it doesn't mean that you're out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, and technically, you know, best case scenario, Fraction is just a worse creator and a better person than we think. So, it could happen, right? Because we, we don't. That that know. that's my. That's my best case scenario. I don't know. I just, I just think Casanova is this issue. Casanova is not as enjoyable, or I would even argue, good as the mm-hmm. previous issues. It is much more troubling, <laughs> and yet completely rubbernecky wise. I'm going to keep reading it. Interesting. Interesting. I. Uh... I just, I enjoyed, I don't know, it's tough. It's like, I'm not sure I $5 enjoyed it, but I certainly did enjoy a lot of it and may or may not be around for the next issue. I really don't know. I really don't know. But ultimately, I think I'm glad that I picked this issue up because I found myself once again having to wrestle with, it's interesting, to me, I'm fascinated by wrestling with the idea of, an author, you know what I mean? Like a person that you don't know that you can have such strong opinions of and the Mm. extent to which, you know, it's that weird, like, God, what's that effect where like someone like, you know, in movies where someone's like standing there and then there's a film of a person projected on them, 
you know? And so... Oh, yeah, I know, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so it, it's like that for me, emotionally. It's like I can never tell to what extent, like, whether it's what I'm seeing from this person or what it's I'm projecting on them, it's... I find it endlessly fascinating to try and suss out what is what, you know what I mean? So... Um, that being said, I kind of wish it was a slightly more enjoyable comic, or at least two dollars cheaper. If it if it had been, if it I had can, been, I a, can deal with misery if it's if it's two ninety nine. Yeah, two dollar ninety nine cent misery. Well, because I'm, I think I'm a little more, I'm a little Schrodinger catsy about the whole misery part. I can't quite tell if he's as miserable or basically kind of schmuckish an, an individual as I think that he might be. <laughs> And being able to give him the benefit of the doubt in that regard. He's a schmuck. He could kind of be an asshole. You know what I mean? Like, and so you don't necessarily know. I think there's enough evidence in certain interviews. Oh, boy. He's just an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, yes, exactly. So we'll see, we'll see whether those things, how those things come together. I think you could be a miserable asshole. I think you can also be an asshole because you're miserable. Right, exactly. I guess that's what I'm sort of trying to say. Is is like there could be many levels there, and I'm willing to suspend my um, judgment enough to be able to to pick up a book. I did, like I said, I didn't quite get the the sheer unrelenting unhappiness all the way through it that you did in quite the same way. It was a better oh, comic. Okay. It, it was it was like the comic version of the anti life equation. <laughs> See, that's what he should slap on the trade. Honestly, if he was smart, the the comic book version of the Anti Life Equation, Graham McMillan, I would I would maybe put that in the in the bottom front border of the of the trade myself. <laughs> I think we both know that's never ever. <laughs> I hold out hope, Graham. I hold out hope. Uh, well, so there we go. It's so, so been, that's comics. Yeah. Is, is there any we can use or anything we should be talking about? I feel we just went straight into like talking about comics. I have to say, I kind of love that we did. I, I did kind too. Of love that we got two hours out talking yeah. about this week's It was a pretty solid two hours, and it was really pretty much just about this this much. Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, I, I'm sort of. Po- oh, you want to talk about Schism Five, which I haven't. I oh, seen. that's right. So yeah, so the, the uh, Marvel have released the art from Schism Five, or they uh, should release like four pages of art from Schism Five, which mm-hmm. Cyclops and Wolverine finally having their fight. Mm-hmm. The fight is so ridiculous <laughs> that it's so ridiculous that it just makes me be like, "Oh, come now!" Um, in the fight, Cyclops literally blows Wolverine's face off. And in the process, gets rid of his eyeballs, so he's a skull. <laughs> and he's still fighting Cyclops. Okay, here's my thing with that. A, that's fucking ridiculous. B, right. it, it blows credibility for me. And I feel like I'm such an old man for saying that. It's supposed to be like, that's awesome. But it's like, he's a fucking skull. Like, right. how, could, how does he know where Cyclops is? He has those nose to smell him. He has no eyes to see him, he has no ears to hear him. You know, I'm guessing that his sense of touch might be slightly overwhelmed by the fact that he's just had his face blown off. Mm-hmm. So unless he can taste Cyclops, how does he keep fighting? And it, it just, it's one of those things, it's like um, the Spider-Man leaving 
fear itself thing. It's one of those things that happens because the writer says it happens. But if you actually give it any thought whatsoever, it breaks the universe. Yeah. Well, actually, if you I... Could try, if you could try Wolverine's face, like, if you could actually rip his face off right. during a fight, and he can keep fighting, right. then Wolverine becomes this weird godlike character. Do you know what I mean? You might as well chop Wolverine into little bits. Mm-hmm. And then fight the various small pieces of them, which I, yeah, they may have done. Yeah. But it's also this thing where it's like, like Wolverine's become so supercharged that he's become ridiculous. Because Wolverine has a healing power, he doesn't have a I don't feel any pain power. Mm-hmm. Wolverine just had his face blown off. Right. Even with a healing power, he theoretically should be completely shut down in shock from the pain. Okay, well, okay, so here's my thing, Graham. First off, the preview pages I'm looking at, although he's had face half of his face blown off, you do see an eyeball in the socket that appears to be no, you, able you to look at things. you see something in the socket, but it's not an eyeball. Uh, not the page I, that I'm wait, looking I, at I, here. Are you seeing the page where, like, there is no face left at all? No, there I'm... Skull, there is a skull on fire. Uh, which is... I have to cyclops to face on fire. But yeah, there is there is a, a page where because there's a page where it's essentially like he's got half a face, mm-hmm. and there's another page where he's just a skull. Oh, okay. Uh, did I get? Oh, there's the skull page. Okay, there was one more preview page. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really. I think he's just a skull. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't have an eyeball. Because you saw him with an eyeball earlier, so you know what an eyeball looks like when Adam Cooper, Andy Cooper is trying it. He mm-hmm. doesn't have that. Anymore. He's just a skull. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I, I don't know. I still see little bits that might be an eye in there. Anyway, here's the thing, right? I, I, as... <laughs> here's the thing. If you actually have to say, do I see, still see little bits of my eyeball in there? Yeah. I'm doing that for your benefit, Graham. The the thing that's hilarious is because you are not a Wolverine fan, you are actually, and I mean this in the best, most loving way possible, about seven years too late to this dance. You know what I mean? I I would say that the problem with this, which is very much related to what you are complaining, is there was an issue of, God, I want to say that it was a Garth Ennis written issue of The Punisher drawn by Derek Robertson where... Punisher uh, met Wolverine and essentially the same thing happened. His face gets peeled off. He's just a skull. And it, it was such cartoony violence. It was, I think, at that, I, I literally think Wolverine gets run over by a steamroller at one point, you know, while swearing at the Punisher. And it's very much the Garth Ennis piss take on Wolverine and very much on these characters are just cartoons. Uh, and of course, I'm very quick to go to this example because my big problem with Aaron, which is not a problem at all in a way, is just that he's writing kind of the wrong books in a way, you know, or he's not writing the title that he want that people want to be reading per se. I can see where he was like, yeah, and this is going to be this thing. Cyclops blasts Wolverine's face off, and then Wolverine keeps but, fighting. But, yeah, but here's the thing. You can do it if you're doing it for comedic effect and you're essentially doing a parody. Well, this if is my point. Intent, but if your intent is you're doing a dramatic fight, yeah. you can't. Yeah. That's not that's not Aaron's writing the wrong book. That's Aaron doesn't know what book he's writing. But, um, yes. Uh, again, he can, think he's writing, he can think he's writing a comedy mm-hmm. or he can think he's writing a drama. If he's trying to write that as a dramatic scene, 
it fails. Well, okay. It's not dramatic. It's comedic slash absolutely ridiculous. But isn't that sort of like, for example, when we're talking about Trial of the Flash from the other week, kind of what we're talking about what we want from comics? Yeah, but I'd argue that's not real drama either. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think X-Men's Cousin is trying to actually be a drama with a point. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it, I agree. Trial, Trial of the Flash isn't. Mm-hmm. Trial, Trial of the Flash is, I have 22 pages to fill what the fuck, let's just send them back in time. Mm-hmm. And that's a, <laughs> that's a different thing. Do you know what I mean? That's not you're not trying to make a point with Trial of the Flash. Mm-hmm. Or if you are, your point's like a meta point. Your point's about the power of imagination. Right. Which is not the point the schism is trying to make. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Schism, the schism is trying to be civil war. And here's the thing. If you can finish Schism and you can finish Civil War and you can say, Mark Miller definitely was the one with the most restraint there. <laughs> going to take you to yeah, I I dude, I totally I I feel your pain. I totally yeah, agree with it. But... You're like you're right, but you're wrong. Uh, it, it's very complicated. I took you. I took you to task a little bit for this about schism last time because I think you had this. You know, at at that point, your frustration was very different. This point, I at this point, I agree with you. I feel like some of the stuff that you're complaining about is exactly the stuff that I was sort of saying in my frustrations with Aaron previously so on the one hand I'm not disagreeing it's just more kind of I do sort of want to try and poke around and explore it's what it's It's almost good (laughs) yeah that's right I was here first is what I'm trying to say Graham uh no 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 no. this this is my claim this is my stake of ground no I I think it looks I let's put it this way I could be wrong, but I suspect that most X-Men readers will take it the way that you take it, and that is not what you want from this event. No, here's the thing. I don't think they will. I think most X-Men readers will be like, this is awesome and hardcore. Okay. So sort of like Detective Comics number one, in a way. Yeah. All right. Well, that's... I. In that case, uh, more power to him. Uh, I just, I just. But is it? I mean, is it more power to him if he's doing something that's just like bad? <laughs> well, do you know what I mean? That's that's like saying, like, should we say more power to Mark Miller for Civil War? Well, at, that. yeah. At this point, I think technically we should, Graham. I mean, no offense. I didn't think it was a good comic. It actually put me off Marvel events forever. You didn't like it either. But the fact is, not only did it sell... Forever? Really? Not only did it sell a bajillion copies, but people are still trying to recreate it and rip it off. It is... It is the the quote-unquote most successful of Marvel's events to date, unless you start going by the Matt Fraction. Well, we certainly did ship on time, you know claim to fame for fear itself I, I, think, I kind of love that because there's still two issues left mm-hmm. it's like seriously you're cursing your book yeah well I yeah there will be a wrath of God thing I think he feels very safe because I think Stuart Eminem prides himself on 
not blowing a deadline. I think, on the other hand, it no, means that other things can happen. <laughs> sure, sure. He could drop dead. Like the things could blow up. You know, I mean, it could be. But you know, at that point, I don't think he necessarily has to worry. I think, I think he's right. I think it very well may end up shipping. I think the fear itself is that's going to be its claim to fame. Certainly, you know. I mean, and that's. It's the claim of every um, hack, you know, is ultimately like... Didn't Siege play every ship on top? I think, I don't know. The way everyone's talking about it, it sounds like all of these have shipped late. There's always been a delay of one sort or another. And who knows, may happen again here, you know, but I, I, you know, again, the rallying cry of, but I hit the deadline, is the rally, is, is, you know, what the hack, you know, gets tattooed on his shoulder next to the thing that says mom <laughs> is actually the Joker. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> that actually would be a kind of nice tattoo. Uh, anyway, I, I... Again, I understand your frustration. I think that Aaron is a good writer. I My personal feeling is is that he is doing what he thinks is good and cool and for the most part he's getting a lot of reinforcement for it I would disagree on the other hand it it was interesting to me that there was somebody on one of our comments threads recently who was kind of like you know well the way you guys complain about schism I'm kind of interested in picking it up and I'm like I'm not sure we were complaining per se like it was like complaining yes but we weren't saying that it was bad you know I mean that was entirely our point Mm-hmm. But yes, although <laughs> your fear is this preview, is... yeah. What you say? I I said your fear might be that this preview has tipped it into the realm of bad, though, right? Yeah, I think what I'm worried about is Flashpoint Five, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it's not necessarily bad or good. It's like interesting, but then like the end is just completely fucked, <laughs> and you're like, oh. <laughs> Right, to the point where the rest of it just is retroactively sucks by comparison or, you know, gets dragged down with it. Yeah, it could happen. It really could happen. It would be great if, like, we keep talking about Flashpoint and Fear itself, but the real contenders are Flashpoint and Schism, where it's like this move to a new status quo that the first four issues are like better than I would have thought or three issues and then suddenly it goes oh this is ah oh ah you know <laughs> I said today on Twitter yeah does anyone remember Fear Itself whatever happened to that because <laughs> you don't feel like Fear Itself it's got to be forgotten <laughs> it's just me I feel like Fear Itself still is you know three months to go yeah and people are like you know great schism wow you've got you know DC just relaunched Right. It's just like your big, your big Marvel event. No one's really talking about it anymore. Oh dear. Well, I because I you know I think it's just. I mean, it's fair. I think Marvel's to blame. Yes. You know what I mean, like if it's your big event, don't schedule two other big events at the same time. Well, they were thinking that they were going to be smaller events. I think the problem is just that Marvel has been in an unending state of event for like five years now. So ultimately, it just becomes invisible. Like a new issue comes out, people like start, you know, flipping out over whatever's happened in it. And then two weeks later, we forget about it. You know, I mean, I've I I, I don't there's no point at which uh, 
I mean, I read three Marvel comics this week, none of which had the Fear Itself branding on them, and to be fair, none of them felt like they took place in any sort of universe where Fear Itself had happened yet, or might have ever happened, you know? And believe me, that was kind of by choice. I could have picked up whatever the week's Fear Itself tie-ins were, but I think... I, I just worry, and this is this was my worry when you were talking about the the news of DC announcing that it sold out of its all of its new fifty two is like I, I I can see why you look at the industry from that angle, uh, and it's an interesting way to look at it. I also worry that it reinforces the comics worst those companies' worst instincts. Like ultimately, oh, I think I, I think it totally is, and mm-hmm. put some context into that because you didn't put any context into it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Graham! <laughs> uh, I, I have heard from a couple of retailers that all of the DC Fifty Two titles are on back order, mm-hmm. which means they have sold out every title in September mm-hmm. from the new Fifty Two. Which I said to Jeff in email. If that's true, that's massive from a PR point of view. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it is. And I also am not disagreeing that I think it's teaching a really bad lesson. Yes. But yes. I, I don't think those two things are necessarily at odds or even disconnected. Right. Right. No, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, guess, I guess that's my... I guess what I worry sometimes is it's... I sometimes feel like you are judging or weighing an event by the meta scale by which we don't want them to judge it or weigh it by? Oh, God, no. I, no, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm judging it on their scale. Right, you're I judging it on their scale. Yeah. On my scale, for example, yes. I thought that Final Crisis was enjoyable. I thought, okay, here's one that I thought was good. I thought DC 1 million was great. I True. loved that event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it was a really successful end. I think creatively it was really enjoyable. Sales-wise, it was kind of shit. Right. But I, I don't have a problem with recognizing how they're judging it, if that makes sure. sense. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's... it's and I, totally I, I think that if you recognize how they judge it, mm-hmm. you also are going to be less surprised when they do it again, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, this is... It, it's true, because it's still not being confirmed. But if it's true, and DC has sold out every single one of their mm-hmm. new 52 in September. Mm-hmm. That's incredible for DC. That is a massive change in their in the number of people buying their comics. And even if they lose half of every half of every book. Right. Their lowest selling title is still going to be significantly up from yes. the lower sales head for because yeah. as it is the estimates for September and these are only estimates like these are really rough estimates but right. the rough estimate has the lowest selling title in 52 higher selling more titles uh, more copies rather than the 10th best selling title previously for DC Jesus that's what I'm saying right that's, no, I... that's beyond big because mm-hmm. if they can get, I mean, think about it. If they get OMAC selling, right? What you know, whatever, what Justice League of America used to sell, right? 
Do you remember what the number is? 40,000, 50,000 copies? Is the lowest, that the lowest yeah. um, rough estimate is 42,000. 42,000, right. Yeah. Which is amazing. Which yes. is pretty amazing yes. for, for OMAC. And don't, but no, that's not the lowest one. So OMAC isn't lowest by any means. Um, right. I, want, I want to say Man of Wars is lowest of 42. Sure. Um, but, I mean, that that's, you know, people talk about game changers. That's a game changer. Yeah. Because even if they lose half of that audience, mm-hmm. they're still significantly ahead of where they were before. Yeah. And if they lose two thirds, mm-hmm. which is, I think, reasonable, mm-hmm. they're still going to have gained market share in the long term. Right. And that means Marvel's going to react. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think you're probably right. You know, um, if, if DC has three months of owning market share mm-hmm. over Marvel. Mm-hmm. Marvel's going to react. Mm-hmm. And it says nothing about what I think of them in terms of quality, mm-hmm. but both because I'm a wonk and because it is my job, I should, I want to pay attention to this stuff. No, no, no. And believe me, um, Graham, I do not... Uh, I'm... I'm totally not chastising you for that for your interest because of course not only do I share it but I'm incredibly grateful that I get to talk to you about it every week and get your spin on oh, it no, I, I, don't, I don't think you're chastising you that I think right. that I, I'm giving it perhaps undue importance and I'm saying I don't think I am okay well, that is that's good to know, and um, <laughs> you're like that's not what I was saying, but okay. No, 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 because I think actually it is actually pretty close to what I'm saying. I, I will be entirely honest here in this schism number five of our conversation. I, I do feel like I was trying to blow half your face off with my optic blast. Uh, that's okay because apparently I need no eyes, ears. Well, that's no, it. You're an unstoppable. Uh, you're unstoppable, Graham. You really I, are. I, I've stuck my claws through your hand. Which, again, apparently doesn't seem to upset you either, by the way. No, 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 no. Well, it's a little-known fact about Cyclops. He is actually made entirely of marshmallow. So. Oh, did you see the page of uh, Wolverine clawing his way out of the Sentinel hand? And the Sentinel hand appears to either be made of paper or paper mache. <laughs> I, I, you it, know, it's I, like hollow inside. It, it, did it's you say... Spectacular. Who was doing the art on this? Did you say it, Kubert? It's, yeah, it's on the Kubert. Yeah, I, well, let me tell you, he is Adam Kubert. It's he, one of the Kuberts. He's he's deadline rushed because this is some really this. There's some pretty crappy work going on here. Uh, these preview pages look bad. Like the the shot where like Cyclops blasts his way out of that one hand and then leaps over to the Wolverine hand and they start fighting again. It's just it's it's Marvel team up level art, you know. I'd say I'm I'm looking forward to the dialogue because I really hope they're going to continually be talking during all of this. Do you know what I mean? Like I hope Will Green is going to lose his face and still be able to talk. Uh, we'll see. I don't know. You know, Aaron, I think is pretty. Um, I think I, th- he- I think he's going to somehow be able to say at least one word. Oh sure. Do you know what I mean? He's going to say slim. Slim. Like tr- try and say that without lips. Hmm. Or a uh, tongue. I- well, he might have a tongue, but definitely without lips. I think you made your point. I'm like, I'm trying to do it now, and it's just not working. Wow, um, <laughs> this is great. We'll have to do a dramatic reading when the issue comes out. Eggman. <laughs> so. I think if I had eggs, it's impossible to say without lips. 
Yeah, and yet you understood what I was saying, although it's a contextual thing. But uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Guess what, listeners? I think the time where we start jib- descending into this is exactly the time where we realize we have to go. Yeah. Well, uh, well, yeah. Also, we've talked for two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. Yeah. That's good enough for you, listeners. Sweet Sorry. Jesus. Yeah. No kidding. Well, well the great part is. It's been recorded. It's recording the whole time. Believe oh, me. I've, thank God. I probably looked over here every three minutes <laughs> during the conversation. At this point, you said we weren't recording. I was not recording. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that one was such an anomaly. It really was like, it was the first of the DCU books. It was the first. We kind of had to talk about it. Anyway, listeners, thank you for <laughs> tuning in. If you have uh, news waffle-related items. Um, Oh, I should have put together a little thank you list for the people who have written us, and also the two people who were kind enough to throw on reviews on iTunes. Thank you very much. We do have new reviews. Yeah, we've got two new reviews. They're great. Um, Are they positive? Uh, no, no, but they're great. They're incredibly. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's awesome. I'm gonna go see. I knew. What is wrong with you, Graham? I re... no, they're positive. Oh, Sorry. I, I, dude, we are on such opposite ends of this little spectrum. I can't even begin to tell you. Anyway, uh, thank you. Write us at waitwhatpodcast@gmail.com. Next time, I will have my little thank yous assembled for people because. We do care, listeners. That's that's we, why we, we do we this. We genuinely do. I know it sounds like we're assholes, but um, <laughs> we're not. We we it actually just does mean a lot to us when we get this sort of thing, and, and when we get emails and when we get comments. Honestly, we're we're not evil. Yeah, we're not. Well, Graham is, but I'm really not. Uh, you didn't even laugh. You're not evil, Graham. I don't. <laughs> or am I? That's true. There was some evil scheming. Maybe you're rubbing your hands when you said you say that now. Let's I was actually reading some new reviews. <laughs> oh, were you? Oh, that's very sweet. Yes. Uh, oh, well, I, give thanks, out. Christopher Beckett and Jordan Gibson. Thank you. Yes, thank you to both. That is uh, very much appreciated. And seriously, you give us five stars. Thank you very, very much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and the, the inter- I oh, think God, the reviews are coaching. even mentions the waffle window. I, oh, he mentions it on iTunes? Yes! Oh, dude, we've got... Ostensibly about comics, it invariably veers off in various directions, most often in the direction of the waffle window. <laughs> You're right. Secondly, we have to get that sponsorship deal going, Jeff. Totally, totally. Uh, well, you know, you'll have to send it. I, don't you follow them on Twitter? Actually, I, fo- I think I follow them on Twitter, and they haven't posted anything recently. They're, uh... they're probably busy making waffles. Yeah, well, that hasn't stopped them in the past. So uh, I, I almost think... had a waffle window for lunch today. I should have gone. Oh, I'm it's... Have you talked to Jeff lately? Yeah, exactly. Actually, what breaks my heart is, uh, who was it that I spent 15 minutes talking about the waffles? Oh, my friend Nina came over for lunch, and I spent 10 minutes telling her about the waffle window. 15 minutes, That's spectacular. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should get her listening to this podcast, then she can get all the waffle window information she needs. You know, Waffle Window hasn't actually posted anything since August 4th. I think you've oh got to like, get on there. That, it was just talking to us. It was. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Oh, my God. <laughs> Seriously, that's amazing. Ah, uh, dear. Shit. <laughs> Sorry, Waffle Window. Official Facebook page, though, Jeff. Maybe, oh, maybe, maybe that's where we should be maybe posting. Maybe they do a lot of talking on their Facebook page. Yeah, maybe that's it. Hmm. 
Okay. Oh, hey, yeah. And speaking listeners, of- we're completely wasting your time there. This, in case you've ever wondered what we are like when we stop recording, it's like this. It really is. It's uh, it's embarrassing. It's I can't even believe we're actually still talking about the waffle window again at the very end of things. Uh, <laughs> I'm just okay. trying to get it to the exact uh, two minute, two and a half minute thing. Although that's not going to work. You're going to edit it, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, listeners. Uh, we hope you had you've had a pleasurable listening experience. We hope that uh, wherever you are, it's warm, but not quite as warm as where it's in Portland right now. And basically, just be safe. Take care of yourself. Keep Aww. your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs> Jack, you just ruined it by laughing. I did? Oh, sorry. I was because you've used was, that before. <laughs> not just me. Casey Casey, my friend. Oh, but it just, just be, I, I still like it. 